So I mentioned my toe. Uh, for those of you that know, uh, if you, you're not, you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was cutting some, some meat with new knives that we bought. Uh, brand new knives, and we were so excited that we got sharp knives, like maybe for the first time in our marriage. We've been married for a while. And uh, I was so excited. I don't know what happened, but the knife fell off the counter. And as I was falling, I thought I moved my foot in time. And I thought it was all good, but long story short, I looked down and apparently that knife slipped right down the middle of my toe, right down the middle, like a, like a hot dog, boom, you know, and, uh, and uh, so that wasn't good. Uh, you know, it got stitched up and everything, and, uh, you know, at, at times, it, it's all better now, with shoes now, I don't know if I can wear shorts anymore, maybe I can, I don't know, you guys tell me. Uh, but, uh, uh, I don't know, in times past, you know, I don't know if that was spiritual warfare or not. Maybe, possibly, likely, I don't know. But in times past, I might have had a hard time uh, finding purpose in why that happened. Right? Why, why did this happen now? Um, but, uh, as, you know, now I, I think uh, I have a lot to, I can come take away from. You know, I, I know one thing, uh, I have a, a, a great appreciation again for my wife. You know, she took care of my toe every day. She made sure I had a fresh wrap every day. You know, she even like cleaned between my toes and stuff like that. You know? So I have a great appreciation, of course, for my wife. I have a great appreciation for all of you. You all pray for me. You're asking. I feel kind of embarrassed. It, actually, you, you show so much care and concern about my toe. I'm like, it's just kind of my toe. But you, you know, you show so much care, and I really appreciate it. And, and Dick last week offered to take my stitches out, and he took my stitches out, and I know he didn't have to do that. So you know, what what, what a great thing! And so I really appreciate you all for all your support and care. Um, I appreciate my toe. <laughs> How many of you really appreciate your middle toe? I mean, you don't think about it too much, but because of one toe. I, could, I had to hobble around. It looked worse than it was. I wasn't in pain, but I didn't want to take the, break the stitches. And, but I really appreciate my toe now. Um, I, I actually threw that. I, it made me want to exercise. Now, those of you who don't really know me well, that's big for me. I don't want to exercise unless it's going to play a game or playing a sport or something. Then I'll do it, but just on my own. So that, that created something in me. You know, so I had some takeaways from this little toe incident. Um, but perspective. Perspective is a very powerful thing, isn't it? Our perspective in different situations, how we perceive a situation can make a world of a difference. I used to hate avocado. The texture of avocado was disgusting, right? It, it, it was nearly flavorless. And the flavor that avocado had was like not real appealing. It didn't even look good. It wasn't even a nice green color. Avocado is not a very beautiful fruit. It is a fruit, right? Are we in agreement it's a fruit? Um, but, so I never liked avocado. But about a decade later, you put avocado on something, I'll eat it. Right, to me, avocado can be like bacon. Right? Every, doesn't, isn't everything better with bacon? Yeah. Ah, we have bacon lovers here. Mmm, those are collective, young kind of sound. 
Right? So you put something on uh, avocado and something, and I'll definitely eat it. Once I pulled up in a drive-thru, and I pulled up, I was kind of hungry. I look at the menu, and then I saw the side menu. And there's this picture of a burger, juicy beef patty. The bun was nice, you know, just kind of rounded. It had some crispy bacon on there and a thick onion ring and some saucy sauce that looked really good. Like, oh, that looks good. I'm gonna order that. Pulled up, paid my 10 bucks or whatever it cost for the burger. I was so excited, pulled into the driveway, I was so excited, I was like salivating, I unwrapped the wrapper, I looked down, I was disgusted. The bun was flimsy, the patty was shrunken, the bacon was like strips of I don't know what, the onion ring was flat, the sauce was so like, it was like there was barely any sauce. I was like, what is this? I was so upset. I wanted to drive back and say, this is not the picture. We are foolishly deceived every day, aren't we? Right? We see something, we like it, and then we get tricked. It's not what we thought it was going to be. Now, of course, we can think of all these, a lot of different scenarios that are more serious that goes on in our minds. There's a lot of things that, that different inner workings are in our mind that obviously is, deals with much more serious things, right? How do we deal with trauma? When we go through something, how do we deal with that? How do we process that? How are we to understand some of the hot issues today that's going on? Right, we hear about it, we think about it. What goes on in our minds? How are we to navigate social media? Can I trust this person that I meet? What do I believe in? See, there's a lot of things that go on in our minds. What we believe, how we form opinions about something, what we will like or dislike, who we will trust. All those things go on in our minds. In fact, there are battlefields that go on, that wage in our minds. How the message of this week and next week is the battlefield of our minds. Because in our minds, there are little battlefields that are waging, trying to influence how we're going to think, how we're going to perceive, what we're going to like, our opinions, how we think about God, how we think about our life, and that wages on every day in our life. Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not aware of it at all. And so a critical question for us that we're gonna look at today and the next week is similar to the question I asked you guys two weeks ago. I asked you all, who belongs, who does your heart belong to? Right, who, who, who does your heart belong to? It's a lot harder to say than, than it sounds. This week and next week, I'm going to ask you, who does your mind belong to? Who does your mind belong to? And I want to just, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. As Henry mentioned earlier, if you have your phones, your bulletin, you don't have your Bible with you, you can scroll down and we'll have the passages there for you. If you are at home and you're watching this, you have no excuse, get up, get your Bible. Get your Bible, flip those pages, it sounds good. Uh, this was a particularly challenging message for me to prepare. Um, and it was challenging because if you, if you study scripture, 
there are so many passages that speak on the mind. I don't know if you've ever been aware of it, but much of Scripture speaks on the challenges that we face, the struggles we face of our mind. And I was having a hard time because I could have gone, I could have stressed this message to like over an hour. So you ready? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so instead of doing like an hour, so I'm going to put it into two weeks. All right, so I'll save you guys some time. But it was challenging because there's a lot that speaks on the mind, our mind as believers. So we've been looking at this verse the last uh, several weeks, and we'll read it again, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Last week we looked at how verse 1 and 2 go hand in hand, and how you can't do verse 1 without verse 2. Okay, we can't expect to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy, acceptable, and pleasing to Him, if we're unwilling to make the changes that are necessary. We can't offer ourselves up to God, say, Here, here's myself as a holy sacrifice, living, pleasing to you, but you know what? I'm going to conform to the world. I want to be like the world, and I don't want my mind to change. I want to stay exactly the same. So we looked at how we need a complete shift. As believers in Christ, we need a complete shift and that's what salvation really is all about, is the change we need. We cannot receive forgiveness if what? We never confess our sin, right? If we're not willing to confess there's something wrong, we're never going to get better. We cannot repent if we're unwilling to change. We can't expect to follow Jesus if we're still chasing the world. Make sense? And we can't be so naive to think that we're going to offer ourselves up to God if our worldview and our desires are conformed to meet society's approval. Make sense? So, so renovation of the heart and mind go hand in hand. We can't say, God, I give you my heart, but our thoughts, our desires, our mind, our judgments, how we see the world and how we see Him isn't changed. Make sense? And you think about it, the unbeliever rejects God. Why? Because they refuse to admit there's something wrong. Or they refuse they need a change. They don't want to acknowledge that they need a change. Why do I need to believe in God? Some, they refuse to surrender control to God. Right? They'll say, you know what? I'll believe in God, but wait, what? I have to surrender things? I have to make changes in my life? Ah, that doesn't sound good to me. Let me find another God. Right? And perhaps maybe that's why a lot of Christians struggle with their relationship with God. Maybe they struggle with it because they, they have a hard time letting go. They're still trying to hold on to the world, a relationship with the world. They want the security of salvation, but mm, I, don't, I, don't want to, I, I don't want to give up pleasure-seeking. I don't want to give up the worldly lifestyle that everybody else is having. See, when we get saved, we, we often think of the changes of behavior. All right, I've got to stop doing this. 
I'm going to come to Jesus so I can stop doing that. But we neglect. It starts with up here. The change of how we view things. How we understand God. How we understand our life. How we understand the world. And that's what God wants to transform in us. That's what we talked about uh, last week. The transformation, the change, is something that God does on us. But we need to be willing to let go of the things of the world and stop patterning ourselves after the world and let God transform our minds to change us. But that's a difficult thing, right? For those of us who've been saved for, for a while, we accepted Christ, I would say it's a, that's a difficult change to make. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He was a professor at USC and, um, so, and um, an author. I love this quote. He says, to change governing ideas, whether in the individual or the group, is one of the most difficult and painful things in human life. You know what he's saying? The most difficult thing and often painful things that we can experience in our, in our lives is changing our ideas of something. When I first read that, I never thought of that before. But if you think of it, the Christian life, that's part of the, the, the change is difficult. And sometimes it can be painful. It can be a painful experience of letting go of friends who are not a good influence in your life. That could be a painful experience. It could be a painful experience to have faith in Jesus, knowing that your family will reject you. Maybe you haven't experienced that, but there are a lot of people around the world who face that. To believe in Christ, the consequence would be rejection from your loved ones. It could be a painful experience accepting the life that you have been living will lead you to your destruction. That could be a painful experience. It could be painful putting down your defenses, all the self-defense mechanisms, everything that you've guarded. So it can be painful to let that go to God knowing you're going to be vulnerable. That can be painful. It can be painful to have that realization that what you've been doing to find your identity who you are is the very thing that's leading to your downfall. Right? So there are many people trying to strive to find who they are, but the way that they're doing it, how they're doing it, how they're defining who they are is leading them to their downfall. And that can be painful to have to let that go, to stop thinking that way. It's difficult to be the one among your friends to have a different point of view, to believe differently. But the changes we need to make aren't easy, but they're better. Those changes are better, and those are the changes we need. So when he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, we do a great job patterning ourselves after the world. That's easy. It's easy to look at your friends and dress like them and talk like them. It's easy to be dialed in on social media and hear all the voices and all the opinions say, all right, I guess, yeah, I guess that's what I need to do. That's how I need to be. But if we're going to see change, if we're going to see any significant change, we need to get out of the mentality 
of trying to be a better version of ourselves and being more like Christ. I'll say that again because that hit me hard. We need to get out of the mentality of trying to be better, to be better versions of ourselves and to be more like Jesus. What are the obstacles for that? Because there may be obstacles for us. One of the big obstacles is we need renewal of our minds and how we perceive God. How do we see God? How do we understand God? Going back to the verse, in verse 2, one verb that we didn't talk about last week is that word to prove, to test, to prove with the expectation of approving or examine. That verb usage is in the present tense, an active voice, infinite mood. In other words, what it's saying is that the, the person, the subject, is doing the action. Here's an example of the usage of it. Let's say if you get hired for a job, or you try out for a sports team, or join anything, and there's an expectation of you to perform well, right? Let's say you get a job. And let's say what you do, you are, let's say you show up to work early. You show up to work early to prove you are a good worker, right? Or if you're a student, after you get home from school, you go straight to do your homework to prove that you are a responsible student. You're like, no, I don't, that doesn't happen. <laughs> right, so to prove you're doing something to show approval, something genuine or real, right? In this context, what are we proving? What are we to prove? In the verses that we are proving what the will of God is, that which is good, well-pleasing to Him, and perfect. So that we may prove the will of God. Now when you hear will, the will of God, it may not be what you're thinking. How many of us have prayed for the will of God in our lives? Yeah? You pray for the will of God? When we pray for the will of God, what are we praying for? What are we really praying for? We want to know what to do. Right? We want to know what to do. And more times than not, we want to know what to do that pertains to what we desire. True? What should I do for a living? What should I do for a career? Where should I go to school? Who should I date? Am I ever going to date? Am I ever going to get married? Who should I get married to? Should I accept the job? Right? Those lists go on and on of all the different things we pray the will of God for. How many experience frustration when you pray for the will of God? Yeah? I think all of us have done that. If we've prayed for the will of God, I'm sure we have experienced times of frustration. We struggle with it. Sometimes we struggle with believing that what God desires for our life is good and perfect, don't we? Have you ever had that? You struggle to think that if God's will for what God's will is for my life, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's perfect. Right? I was asked, have you always wanted to be a pastor? And my answer to that was, uh-uh. No. That was the last thing I wanted. 
That was the very last thing I wanted to do. Because if that's what God wanted for me, oh man, that's a scary thought. But we have often a difficult time accepting that God's will is good and perfect. Why is that? Why do we struggle with that so much? Perhaps it's because we always think we know what's good for us. Right? Or what is perfectly acceptable to us and not to God. Kind of relate this to the situation with children and parents. Right? How many of you have kids? How many of you have parents? Right, and then you guys, you guys are just tired. You don't want to raise your hands. You don't want to raise your arms. Uh, one reason children do not believe their parents or listen to their parents because they believe their parents have no idea what we're talking about. Children, is that right? We have a lot of smart kids here because they are not budging. They're not moving. They're like, I'm not saying a word. You're not going to get me to admit that. <laughs> parents, oh, I, yeah, parents are like, uh-huh. You don't think I know what I'm talking about, right? Careful, parents. You were in the same position too, right? We all were like, my parents have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea. But it's because there's, there's a different perspective. Right? Imagine the scenario. If you, you, the parents of the children, they go, let's say, on a hike. They go up to the mountains, and the parents were 30 yards ahead. And they went around the hike, and they saw this big ditch. Perhaps they even fell in the ditch, and they got out of it. And they called to the kids and say, hey, up ahead, there's a ditch. Don't come this way. Go the other way. You as a kid, what are you going to do? You're faced with a decision, aren't you? Ditch. Mom and dad, they probably couldn't even climb. They, could, they, they don't know what they're talking about. They're exaggerating. They don't know. They don't know what I can do. I can just hop over that ditch. I can get around it. But they have a decision to make. Do I go that way or do I, go, do I listen to go the other way? What's the difference in those perspectives? There's a perspective that's totally foreign to the kid. They have not seen it. They have not crossed that way. So they can't picture it. They don't know it. So they're making that decision like, well, I know what's best. While the parents, like, they've already been through it. They saw it. They realize that there's the danger of it. They say, look, don't go this way. This is what we've seen. This is what we've experienced. But the conflict for the kid is like, do I want to listen or not? See, it's the same way with God sometimes. But God's foreknowledge is perfect. He knows. When we ask for his will, when we're asking for what he knows, he knows in perfection. He knows the big picture. And sometimes when we ask for God's will, we want him to lay out that roadmap, right? Give me the end goal. Lay out the steps for me to take. Make it clear the decisions I need to make. Isn't that what we often pray for? We want that confirmation. But the question is, if God were to do it, would we be ready to respond? Do we trust God enough that if he tells us this is what it looks like, you are going to faithfully take those steps? I think many times the answer is no. There are many times we're not ready to take those steps. Be perfectly candid with you all. If, if the opportunity came for Generation Church a couple years ago, I don't know if I would be here. 
Why? I don't know if I, my heart was ready for it. I don't know if I was resolved in my heart to say, you know what, it's time to go back into church ministry. I don't even know if five years ago, if you knew that the situation from here, from back then, would you have done it? In anything, in any course of your life, does God have our complete trust? And if he were to reveal those first steps, are we willing to accept and to follow? If God was to told me in one night when I, was, when I was praying in my room in high school of what I should do, give me a purpose, give me a sign. If he was to tell me, Mike, you are going to be a pastor. Jonah, man, I wouldn't have even been Jonah. Maybe I wouldn't have left my parents' house. I'd be scared. There's a popular worship song that's sung in many churches. I don't know how much it's sung nowadays, but the song Oceans. You know, song Oceans, very popular song. Uh, many sing that song very passionately. When that song comes on, man, there's so many things. I've heard people cheer. Yes. Oh, I love this song. And they just sing like this. They're just like raising their hands and they're getting emotional. And oh, this is my anthem to you, God. Have you ever stopped to listen to the lyrics? I, I remember thinking, wondering, how many truly are willing to follow through with what they're saying? Lord, call me out into the waters. Do you really want to be led where your trust is without borders? Do you understand what that means? Are you ready for that? See, we sing it, but I don't know if we process that in, in our minds to say, God, Lead me anywhere. Lead me to where there's no borders in my trust. I'm willing to walk you out to deep waters. I'm going to be like Peter said, I'm not going to sink. Right? When praying for God's will, we experience frustration when we're unwilling to truly surrender to him. And sometimes he only reveals little because we can trust little. I found that in my time, you know, that Trust or that silence is what I need. But we easily question God, we question His intentions for us, especially when we're not hearing from Him quickly, aren't we? Another quote from Dallas Wood, I want to read to you quickly. It says, This is the basic idea back of all temptation. God is presented as depriving us by His commands of what is good. So we think we must take matters into our own hands and act contrary to what He has said. This image of God leads to our pushing him out of our thoughts and putting ourselves on the throne of the universe. The condition of the ruined soul and world naturally results. The single most important thing in our mind is our idea of God and the associated images. Isn't that true? One of the great temptations for us is to question God's character. If something negative is happening in our life, or if things aren't happening as we want, we so quickly question God. And it leads us to make decisions questioning God. So how we perceive and understand God's character and nature directly affects how we process and view our life. How we carry on with life, how we see the world, how we see your life, how we see God. 
So two things to marinate, to think about. If you want to prove God's will in your life, if you want to be able to be a living sacrifice to God, if we want to be able to not conform to the world and have your mind transformed, two things I want us to consider. One, do you have a biblical understanding of God? And two, are you seeking his will or simply approval for your will? First thing, we must have a healthy biblical understanding of God. A couple of verses, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, 21, and then chapter 3, 1 and 2. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Chapter 1, verse 2. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Sorry, I just totally read that over again. This is now, behold, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you. This is Peter saying, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. What's Paul and Peter saying? Scripture is God's word spoken to us. Last week I encouraged you that if we want to experience change in our minds, we need to be one rooted in the word. Right? If you look at a plant or tree, the roots provide nourishment for the tree. It gives stability for the tree. We need to be plugged into the word, just like anything that is electricity. You plug something in into the socket. It gives it power. It allows it to be able to function as it should. We have to be filtered by the word. The word of God has to be our filter into what we take in, all the information, everything we see, everything we hear in this world. It's filtering. Something's filtering in our minds. It's the word of God, that filter in which we understand the world that we're living in. And the fourth thing, we have to be directed by the Word. The Word of God will direct you in your life. It will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. If you want to know who God is, His character, His purposes, you need to go to the source. Because let's be clear, we represent the God of the Bible. As believers of Christ, we represent the God of the Bible. We don't represent the God of Twitter. We don't represent the God of social media. We don't represent a God of our imagination. We don't represent the God of Republicans or Democrats, of conservatives or liberals. We represent the God of the Bible. We are defenders and representatives of the God who communicated himself to us through his written word. We need to make that clear because we're living in times where people aren't looking at the Bible as literal. And we are in the minority if we are taking God's word literally. In other words, that it's not just metaphors. It's not just symbolism. It's not just stories, fanciful stories. It's not just outdated 
literature. Even in Christian circles, there are people who are marginalizing the Word of God. That is not as important. We can only pick and choose what we like. The Scripture is the divine, inspired, written Word of God. What God has said and done and commanded. Some may wonder, why do we believe in Scripture? Right? People may say, why do you believe in the Bible is true? Well, besides the fact that there's fulfilled prophecy, it's accurate historicity, it's historical, it's, re- it's been reliable throughout history, it's been written by over 30 different authors across several continents, 66 books, written in three different languages, yet it tells cohesive, beautiful accounts unlike anything else written by human hands. The entire Bible honors, glorifies, and consistently portrays God as holy, perfect, righteous, loving, just, sovereign, almighty, all-knowing. God's character is consistent throughout Scripture. The Bible also highlights man's sinfulness, man's weaknesses, Man's unfaithfulness, its powerlessness, its desperate need for God, that's consistent throughout Scripture. If you're going to make up a God, that's not how you make up a God. That's not how you make up a story. When man writes things, they're often the hero in some form or fashion. Man is not the hero in Scripture. God is the hero in Scripture. You think of all the heroes in Scripture, you think of flawed people. If you're going to make up a religion of God, this is not how people normally make something up. In John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, who was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and beheld, and we beheld His glory. The glory is only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John declares it, he sums it all up, all of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of of all of Scripture. This is what, he is what this is all about. So when we're in the Word, we are knowing our God. The Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit work hand in hand. If you want to have an accurate understanding, a healthy perspective of who God is, you need to know the Word of God. If you want to have a healthy understanding, how do I look at the world today? I look at what my friends are thinking about certain situations, certain scenarios. You have questions about the just controversial social topics today, gender identity, marriage, racism, all these things that our, our society is facing. How do I process this? It begins with your understanding of God. When people ask me about these issues, what do you think? My, my starting point is, what do you know about God? What you understand about God is going to dictate how you answer those questions. 
If you have an idea of God based on what the world wants, what the world desires, then that's the path that you're going to take. But if this is your source of understanding of God, this can set the course of how you answer those questions. Last thing, let me speed up here. Second question, are you seeking his will or simply approving or seeking approval of your will? If we understand God is always good and perfect, we will be able to accept his will for us, right? If we understand in our minds, we understand that God is always good. He is always perfect in his ways. Then we can trust him with his will in our life, even though it looks different from what we want it to be. But if we're constantly seeking approval for our will, we're going to be dis disappointed. We will be frustrated. The will of God is not centered on us, but centered on him. We can pray, Lord, I want to do your will. Right? Lord, I want to do your will. If his response is, well, I want you to stop partying like you've been doing. Our answer may be, well, that's not the will I was talking about. <laughs> that's not what I was talking about. I was referring to this particularly. If we ask, Lord, I want to know what your will is about a job, what should I do? What should I do? If his response is, well, I want you to set some time, I want you to be in your word, I want you to be in prayer. Your response is, well, that's not kind of what I was thinking about. I was kind of thinking about a little faster timetable, God. We need to treat God's will as though we're not bent. We want him to bend on our timetables, our standards, our desires, our needs. I discovered that times of waiting can be most frustrating when faith, our, our faith is tested, our trust is tested. But those times of silence from God are oftentimes that we need. Sometimes those times of silence is preparation. Sometimes those times of silence is times of healing. Sometimes those times of silence is to get our hearts and minds ready for the journey that awaits us. Because sometimes he knows the journey that lies ahead is going to be rough. It's going to be tough. And are you willing to trust me in the midst of those things? Are you willing to take the steps that you need? Because ultimately the will of God, for us to prove the will of God, is to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to him. To not be conformed to the world, but have our minds transformed. The renewing of our minds. When we do that, we will prove what the will of God is in our life. And we'll be able to filter out, we'll be able to discern all the things that are going on in this world. Next we're going to take a look at some more of those battlefields that go on in our minds. But the first battlefield we need to address is our understanding of God. Because that's going to set the course for all the other battlefields we face. Let's bow our heads in this prayer. Lord God, as we come before you, we recognize, Lord, that there's a lot of voices that are speaking to our minds. Especially this day and age, Lord, the world is chasing after a God 
formed by their own desires, their own conveniences. There's a lot of voices in our head trying to tell us, or all around us trying to tell us who God is, what he approves of. There's a lot of things going on in this world, Lord. Father, we need to know who you are. We need to have a wrong desire for your word to speak truth into our minds, to filter all the lies that we hear, and to truly know who our creator is, the one who truly loves us and knows us and knows the best for us. May we have a growing desire to know you above all else, to love you above all others. Set our course, Lord, we pray. Set our hearts and minds right, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.